Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. There are some natural rhythms to our nation, times that we celebrate uh, certain people or certain events, and I don't really believe that the church should be subject to those necessarily, but so many of them are so important. And last week, nobody said anything to me about this, but I, I had an intention to at least recognize that the Friday before was Veterans Day, uh, because I think that's an important breather in our culture. It's a time we sort of take a collective pause and say thank you for serving those who have served in our armed services. And uh, I'm, I'm honest, I'm very grateful that nobody pounded me about not doing that. I, was, I thought that was going to land kind of funny when I said it. Because it's, it's kind of a big deal to me. Uh, in my Broadmoor years, I was there over a decade, and I tended to be the Memorial Day and the Veterans Day guy because my dad was an Air Force colonel. And we got some great stories in my family, and my dad really a hero to me. And I would preach those Sundays or speak those Sundays. And uh, I just want to take a moment and apologize for not getting to Veterans Day last week, which I intended. We didn't have a big agenda, but I intended to do that. And I am curious, and my curiosity will set up the opportunity to celebrate and to affirm here for just a moment. How many of you are, in fact, veterans? Would you lift your hands high? Could we thank these folks for their service? Now, I understand we had a World War II veteran in the service last week. Uh, He has not come in today, has he? But a 102-year-old World War II veteran uh, would have been exactly my dad's age, born in 1920, served in the Second World War. My father... Uh, was a B-24 navigator and then career military. And uh, what those men and women did, um, let me just say this very carefully. We'd be in trouble if we had to do that again. Incredible generation. I know Tom Brokaw or somebody writing the book called them the greatest generation, and I concur and uh, great, great to celebrate that. Today, we're taking a bit of a pause out of our study of Romans, which has been the big picture. It's not been an in-depth, line-by-line, word-by-word study, but it's been the big picture of the themes throughout Romans. We're going to take a pause, much like Veterans Day, but different, about Thanksgiving and giving thanks. And I think that's one of those opportunities in our culture that are critical. They could be biblically informed. They certainly are apropos to the body of Christ, for we are the people that God has graced and loved and are aware of that and responded to the love of God for the whole world. And when we who know him recognize his presence in our life, there is much to be thankful for. Even the things that are most difficult Even the struggles and the losses, uh, we are commanded to be thankful for those. Uh, And it is something that our nation celebrates. It's not a a new tradition, quite honestly. It preceded our nation. 
uh, but was codified uh, a little later. For those of you who know some history, maybe a history teacher in the room or people who have studied some of these American history moments, but from July 1st to 3rd, 1863, during the war between the states, the Civil War, there was the battle called Gettysburg because of Gettysburg, Virginia. Robert E. Lee, who was the commander of the Confederate forces, was coming off a big win and a big battle and with much confidence pushed into Virginia. General George Meade from the Union Army uh, met Lee at Gettysburg. And if my numbers are correct, about 110,000 men were in that battle. Think about that for a moment. 110,000. 33,000 Union troops died. 33,000. 38,000 Confederate soldiers lost their life in the Battle of Gettysburg. Looking back and looking over the war from a historical perspective, here's something we know, and uh, this was brought to my attention several years ago. There's some great stories out of Gettysburg, and I've got a longer talk about that, and I think it's helpful, but that's not where we're going today. But historically, looking over the top of that, here's what we now know, which it looks like Abraham Lincoln intuited. He just knew that that may well have been the turning point or the defining point for the Union win of the war. I always thought, I mean, I just sort of drew a straight line to this thinking that if the Confederacy, the South, had won the war, there would be two United States. There would be a northern United States and perhaps a southern United States. But several years ago, I was made aware that many historians would argue that what would have happened is North American continent might well have looked more like the nation states of Europe. So if you stop and think about that, there may well have been a North and South Carolina who would have been the Carolinas and maybe some New England states. Georgia, I could see that, uh, that geography that surrounds that state and the natural borders. Georgia might have been a nation state. Florida, Texas for sure. Texas still thinks it's a nation. I mean, just keeping it real. Ultimately, California, maybe some areas in the south or the, what we would later call the Rust Belt in the north, probably would not have been two sets of United States. It probably would have been small nation states. But Gary, why is that important? Well, first of all, let me say this about the sovereignty of God. If doesn't really count, it can be informative for thinking about decision-making and what we do and to be sure, but... Uh, I, I thought I was going into law school, and I've had friends who years ago said, Gary, what would have happened if you'd gone to law school? And that's a big if. So I say, I could have been hit by a bus the first day. I mean, if doesn't really count. We sort of spin ifs to our logical conclusion to justify our thinking. But here's the if about what would have happened if the Confederacy had won, and we were a nation states all over North America. If and when 
World War II in particular had happened, the United States would have not had the resources or marshaled the manpower or had the combined uh, will to help the war in Europe, the face of Europe, arguably might be completely different. Different logical outcome. So Gettysburg was a defining moment. And again, there's some great stories there, but Abraham Lincoln knew this. Many people had celebrated a time of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving typically uh, through much of the Protestant tradition, including the Puritans, think Mayflower, think first Thanksgiving as many of us were taught. Those days of Thanksgiving and prayer were a response to the sovereignty of God. They were recognizing God's blessings and God's provision, God's providence in their life, if you will. And they were a response corporately and within church and families of believers to the provision of God. They were times of thanksgiving. Sometimes they resulted in days of prayer or days of fasting. And there was a tradition of thanksgiving that surrounded this early pilgrim experience in about 1621. Now, scholars vary a little bit about whether that first Thanksgiving was 1621 or 22 or 23. doesn't really matter. There are those who arguably and correctly, I think, would say, you know, there's some there, there's some challenge with the way we treated indigenous people. We called Indians Native Americans. But there's some truth in that. For sure, it was a broken, fallen world. That's the way, uh, that's the way sovereign nations and colonialism worked, not just with the mean old Western Europeans, but worldwide. That's the way the world operated, no doubt about that. But there was a stopping of these pilgrims at some point who gathered friendly Native Americans with them and they celebrated Thanksgiving together. So that was the tradition. It had happened many times in many ways. But after the Battle of Gettysburg, Lincoln recognized that God in his providence, and Lincoln gave every evidence of being a believer, that God in his providence had helped turn the war because he had a moral commitment to the remaining of the union together. And he declared a particular day, Thanksgiving. When you came in, you received an order of worship, a worship guide with some important announcements on the back. And on the top of that, I know you can read, but in case you didn't get it coming in, and so we hear it together, here's the Lincoln Proclamation about Thanksgiving directly resulting from the victory at Gettysburg, which was a turning point in a war that had divided our nation. Lincoln writes, Now therefore I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, do hereby appoint and set apart the last Thursday in November next as a day which I desire to be observed by all my fellow citizens, wherever they may be, as a day of thanksgiving and praise to Almighty God, the beneficent creator and ruler of the universe. And I do further recommend to my fellow citizens aforesaid that on the occasion they do reverently humble themselves in the dust and from thence offer up penitent and fervent prayers and supplications to the great disposer of events 
for return of the inestimable blessings of peace, union, and harmony throughout the land, which it has pleased him to assign as a dwelling place for ourselves and for our posterity throughout all generations. Last Thursday in November is set aside as a Thanksgiving day. And we celebrated in our culture typically with family gatherings and turkey and dressing most often. And it is a wonderful week. But at its core, the purpose of Thanksgiving is a repentant, penitent, humbling of ourselves to say, God, we, God, we see you and your mighty works and your sovereignty and your provision for us. And we take a national breath, a national pause, a national moment to say, God, we thank you for the way you've blessed us. God, we recognize you and we humble ourselves before your goodness. And that's what we're doing this week. We are taking a moment, if we are right thinking and we're aligned with the purpose of thanksgiving, to take a moment and say, God, we see you at work. God, we recognize our blessings. How many of you have traveled outside of the United States? Put your hands up high. Okay, let me make an, let me make an observation first. I, I'm of the age, when I was a student, maybe in junior high or high school, if you traveled outside the United States, outside of the military, it was a little bit like flying to the moon. People didn't travel like they do nowadays, but travel is very accessible and relatively affordable. And uh, many of you perhaps have have been work-related, but perhaps a lot of you have been on vacation. How many of you have mission-tripped in another country other than the United States? Hands, hands, hands. Guys, if you've been overseas or you're geographically aware or culturally aware you would know that we are the most blessed, safest, most provided for nation on the planet. There is an incredible reality to the blessing of even our our safety. It's not just perceived, and we live in a broken, fallen world, and there are places that are more dangerous than others, but fundamentally, we live in a safe, blessed, resourced environment. And to take a moment nationally and to say, God, we see your hand toward us is a much advised pause for our nation. One of the reasons we celebrate Thanksgiving appropriately as people of God is because God has blessed us with so much. And when I use lines like, which I have here, that that a theme like thanksgiving or giving thanks or gratitude is woven throughout the scripture. Uh, That is absolutely true. And you see several printed here. And we're going to land on the passage in Philippians this morning in in just a couple of minutes. But I just want to run through some scripture real quickly for you. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The psalmist writes throughout the book of Psalms, and that's more than one author, but uh, Psalm 103, praise the Lord my soul and my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love 
and compassion. Colossians 2, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Isaiah 12, and on that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. James, the first chapter, New Testament. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We're to give thanks. First Chronicles, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the God of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And we'll come back and see that some more. Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Back in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 29. Now therefore our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Ephesians 5. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your hearts to God. Always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father. Jumping back to Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all of their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not forsake me. 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There's something about thanksgiving thankfulness, gratitude, indebtedness, appreciation that, that changes us. It, it changes our lens of our perception of, of who God is to us and how we're to respond to the world. It's good for us in so many ways. A number of years ago, it's funny how you get taught sometimes by your children if you pay attention. Uh, my son's pretty insightful and, and gracious and uh, Trust me, he knows I'm not a perfect father, but he honors me as a matter of, of love and a matter of discipline, and I appreciate that. Several years ago, he said to me, Dad, I am learning that we don't want to wait until the funeral to honor and show appreciation, but we ought to honor those for whom honor is due. And he made a point to honor me on that day in a, in a real thoughtful and sensitive way. And we were talking about honor in the context of some conversations he'd had about others. 
And I had a moment and I thought, you know, what I'd like to do in this season of my life is I'd like to find people that I can show gratitude to, that I can express thanksgiving for. So a number of years ago, I started uh, editing and shooting some little Facebook videos. They're just my little attempt in my little world to, to honor some people. And I would do what I called heroes, a brief tribute to the life-giving heroes of my life. And here's what I said, and, and this is why I tell you the story about this. This is what I said, and I've lived with this now for about five years, and I think it's true. I do these for a couple of reasons. Certainly God commands thankfulness and, and appreciation for how God provides for us. But I've said when we express gratitude, it does two things for us. Number one, everybody we express gratitude to appreciates it. Don't you appreciate being appreciated? Moms and dads, don't you appreciate being appreciated? We all appreciate somebody recognizing our investment in their life. And the second thing is, It reminds me that I want to be the kind of person for whom somebody else would be grateful. I I want to be that kind of person. So that's what I've said in these five years. And I don't know, I may have done 25 of these videos by now. My wife reminds me to do videos for older people because we want them to see these before they're gone. Quick story. I was in the eighth grade. I was sitting about three quarters of the way back at Joe Cook Junior High in the auditorium. And some high school kids who had formed a band came to do an assembly. Well, now, if you're a seventh, eighth, ninth grader, there's nothing better than assembly. You know what I mean? Anything, I heard an amen. I can't get an amen out of you people about the very grace of God, but I got an amen about a junior high assembly. That makes my day. It's a junior high assembly. I'm about three-quarters of the way back. These high school kids get up, and uh, this is going to land on some of you differently than it's going to land on you younger adults. But they sang the association. I thought I'd get an amen for the association. I didn't know. Never my love. It was fantastic. Cherish. They had great harmonies. They had a little band. Had a horn player. They had a drummer. They had a bass player. They had a piano player. About 12 kids. And uh, they were all of like 16 years old. When you're in junior high, those guys look like they're grown adults. And they did a great job. And I'm, I'm sitting back here in the back, and I see a guy, and that guy, now it's 1970, 16, whatever it was. He had on Ray-Bans and a white button shirt, rolled up sleeves, and he was playing the most silver, brightest most beautiful trumpet I had ever seen. And I was a little fledgling cornet player, little trumpet player. And I looked at this guy playing this trumpet and everything about him just looked cool. I mean, I just, I'm in the eighth grade. I remember this cat. He is, he's on the stage. And I'm thinking, as I think about it later, I guess I'm thinking, I want to be that guy. Now, I know you've never had those thoughts. Yeah, you have. You've all looked at people and said, I'd kind of like to be that guy, or I'd want to be that girl. I want to be, I want to be the quarterback on that team. I and mean, we've all said stuff. And looking back, I realized I kind of wanted to be that guy. 
Well, the schools got jumbled up that next year, and the ninth grade became a high school grade, and I went to Lehigh in Columbus, and I landed there. I'm in the band, and that guy was Charlie Hinman. And Charlie Hinman was a senior. He was the student body president. He was a trumpet player, and he came in, and he was out of the band. The band had kind of been upside down, and he had some responsibilities, but he came in and he directed the band for a while because we had lost our band director. It was a crazy year. And he was as gracious to me and just as cool and talented. He was a great leader. He was crystal clear. He was awesome. I, I just thought the world of this guy. I didn't realize it till 20 years after high school, but my senior year, I had a silver Bach trumpet I was wearing sunglasses, and I was the student body president. I turned into that character. I had no idea. And there's a little side lesson here, which is you got to be careful who you emulate. Yeah, I probably should get an amen there because, I mean, we, we have the, sometimes the worst role models in the world, but Charlie Hinman, was, he was a straight-up, awesome, smart, talented, gracious guy. So five years ago, I start doing these videos, and probably eight or ten videos in, I did one about Charlie Hinman in that situation, saying, looking back 45 years or so, 50 years, I, I recognize that by default, without really being too intentional about it, I'd sort of become like that guy. And Charlie had always been gracious and smart and such an encourager, somebody I looked up to, and then I realized I'd taken on some of the, the mannerisms and some of, some of the leadership that I'd seen modeled by Charlie Hinman. So I did the video, and I posted it, and I get a Facebook message, then a phone call. His brother, Kelly, who was a friend of mine, said, Charlie is a doctor, and he's dying right now of a brain tumor. And one of the last things Charlie saw while he was coherent was my video about the impact he made in my life. Expressing thankfulness and gratitude does at least two things. Number one, everybody loves thankfulness for them and the way they invest and the way they model or the way they lead, or the way they serve. And number two, it reminds us to be people for whom others would be thankful. We're called to thankfulness and thanksgiving literally by Lincoln and then provided for year after year after year in our country in this pause in November because it's a specific time that our nation should stop and pause and thank God for his providence in our life, for his provision for us, for his grace for us. It's threaded throughout scripture. I just read maybe a dozen scriptures, but this scripture at the bottom of your page, Philippians 4, 6, I read it a moment ago. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Can I stop right there and give you a word? Yesterday evening, Kathy and I went to the theater, and we saw The Chosen, which is a dramatic video presentation 
fundamentally about the chosen, about the 12 disciples and the character in these videos who plays Jesus, we think does a remarkable job. And uh, there, are, there are critics, you know, there are people who say you shouldn't handle that material at all, but every preacher and every Sunday school teacher who's ever lived stands up and reads the Word of God and then by the Spirit of God says, and this is the way we apply or this is what this passage means or here's the context or here's the historical setting. We all do it. And this is done on video and I, I happen to think it's excellent. One of the scenes in the episode's that were presented in the theaters yesterday, first time on the theater, it's been an online experience, was the Sermon on the Mount. And that's exactly the core of much of the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about anything. Your father provides for the, for the birds. How much more does he love you? Paul reflects that and he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... That's an easy Sunday morning thing to say. Every situation. You know what that means? In the Greek, it means in every situation. That means whether it's good or whether it's bad or whether your life is awful or things are going terribly or it's a bad diagnosis or an unreconciled relationship, whether it's financial or vocational whatever that challenge is, whether it's these tents we live in that break down in every situation by prayer, talking to and listening to the Father, and petition, knocking on the door. God, I know you hear me. I, God, as my Father, I want to tell you one more time, I need your help. Father, I, I need you. With thanksgiving, thanksgiving, that element that gives us perspective it says, God, I know you hear me, and I see your blessings, and I see your provision. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's a relationship. God's pleased when we present our request because he is all-powerful, and he's all-knowing, and he loves us. I love it when my children were growing up, and they needed me to do something. I mean, not just in a, we can do for ourselves what we need you to do it. I mean, when they needed something and I could do it, I loved that. And I'm an imperfect father. But our perfect heavenly father loves it when we petition and with thanksgiving make our request known to God. Thanksgiving, it is a perspective changer. It reminds us of God's grace and his provision. This morning when you came in, I trust that you received a Lord's Supper cup. If you did not, if you'll slip your hand up, I know there's some men here who have some provisions for us. Anyone throughout the room wants you to have this. The Lord's Supper, uh, we don't always say this very clearly. But the Lord's Supper is for believers. Now, if you haven't come to the point of trusting Christ, you can do that. It's not, a, it's not a special moment at the end of a service or at the end of a crusade or at the end of a book. It is a relationship with the God who loves us, who calls us to himself. And you could actually give your life to Christ right now in this moment on your own. You don't need special leadership. There's not a prescribed biblical prayer 
but it is a posture and an expression of the heart that says, God, I need you. I receive your forgiveness in your life. And I surrender my life to you and I follow you, God. I believe. And you may say, well, I've got some questions. Welcome to the world. You're going to have questions. But like Thomas, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I trust and follow you. The Lord's Supper is for believers. And there's no pressure here this morning. We're, we're just a family of people who have gathered to see and express thanksgiving and thankfulness for God's presence and his grace. When you take this little item, if you'll go ahead and open so that you can get to this element. Now, so you know that I know, uh, East Haven is about 75 years old, am I correct? And I would have a sneaking suspicion that out of 75 years, you've spent 73 and a half years passing a plate for the Lord's Supper. Am I right? But these showed up during COVID, didn't they? Kathy and I are members of Pine Lake, where our son is a worship pastor, and we celebrate the Lord's Supper every month at the end of a service. And these are highly efficient. Uh, They're a little bit awkward, so if you'll open, take the element. One of the things about the Lord's Supper is it's, it's an expression of remembering. It's a reminder. It is literally Jesus saying, as Paul quotes, as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. And remembering is really important. If you've been in a situation or uh, had family in a situation where somebody has lost their ability to remember, it's so difficult because without remembering, uh, we don't function. We remember how to do and how to think and how to say. Remembering is really, really important. And once again, throughout Scripture, there's much about remembering. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, And he's describing the Lord's Supper. Remember the setting. Jesus is with his disciples. The cross is imminent. They don't know what's coming, but they know something's coming. And they're celebrating the Passover together. And as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread... And gave thanks. He gave thanks. Let's stop right here and do that. Father, I just want to thank you for the cross, for the gift of life through Jesus, for the promise and the hope of resurrection, for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life. And our Father, as we remember, I pray you would be honored today In this time, in Jesus' name, amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. As often as you take it, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup, and he said, This drink, this wine, is my blood 
for the new covenant. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. We are a thankful people. God has demonstrated his love to us, the book of Romans says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. He didn't come to make bad people good, but dead people alive. And when you're alive in Christ, fully forgiven, fully inhabited by the presence of his Holy Spirit, our life becomes a mission to honor Christ, to remember him and walk in his presence, remember his goodness, his provision, and to tell others how they can find the hope in life, the forgiveness available in Jesus. I say this often. I think part of my privilege in this role is to speak to things that we do that sometimes we take for granted. We have an invitation at the end of our service. Whether anybody walks to the front or makes a decision publicly or not, we have the opportunity to join this church, this body, and be a member of this fellowship that's identified as East Haven Baptist Church. It's a chance, and many actually have taken advantage of this, but it's a chance to say to someone, me or others, I am going through something, I'm dealing with something, I'm looking for wisdom or leadership, I need a fresh touch from the Lord, would you pray with me? It's a chance to pray together. For some, it may be the chance to say for the very first time, I have trusted Christ or I want to know more about trusting Christ, or I have trusted Christ and I want to be obedient by being baptized in his name. It's a chance to make those decisions public to the body. Now, because we've been together a couple of months now, you know that I'm going to be real with you. Here's what happens many times in churches who don't have a pastor. People say... Well, whatever it is, I'm going to wait till we get a pastor. But I almost want to shout at you and say, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is life. And we've got to move, not only as the body, but as individuals, in obedient faithfulness to God, whether there's somebody in the pastor's office at this place or not. You have pastors and you have leaders So if God's dealing with you about something like joining this body or giving your life to Christ, for goodness sake, don't wait. Do those things that God is prompting you to do with faithfulness and obedience today. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. Uh, I'll be at the front. Phil will be here. Other leaders in the church are around. We can pray for you, receive you, uh, accept you, talk with you about your life encourage you, that would be our privilege at this invitation. Let's pray together, please. Father, we've remembered today, and as we've remembered, we found ourselves thankful. It's with grateful hearts as we consider your grace for us that we celebrate. And Lord, this morning, we have, we've given thanks and we've remembered uh, the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us. Father, we are still in awe of your incredible love for us. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer 
that by the work of your Holy Spirit, that if there is a man, a woman, a child, a family who has business to do with you in a way that should be public, that this would be a moment for them to join this body, to be a part of this church, perhaps to give their life for uh, the rest of their life to Jesus. Maybe somebody needs to be baptized as an expression of dying to themselves and living for you. Father, whatever it is, we pray you'd have your way in this time, in this body, in this moment. We love you. We trust you. We celebrate you as we remember and are thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. If God's put something in your heart to do, we'll meet you at the front. Pray, decide, announce, encourage. You come and meet me here, being obedient faithfully to what God's led you to do.